we've seen some analysts expect inflation to actually go up beyond the 7.9 we've seen in the U.S. and potentially hitting double digits before it slows down. And it really has a lot to do with those commodity prices. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. This week, the federal liberals and NDP announced a confidence and supply agreement that will likely keep Justin Trudeau in the prime minister's office until 2025. In today's episode, Portfolio Managers Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks, along with your host Mark Rays, discuss implications for Canadian banks, as well as fixed income yields, inflation expectations, emerging markets, and the U.S. healthcare sector. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We really appreciate your time. Today, we're joined by Chris McKamey and Chris Heeks, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Morning, Mark. Good to be here. Good morning. Thanks for joining. Let's get right into some questions. We certainly saw a big political announcement this week here in Canada uh, that keeps the Liberals in power for the next few years. And as part of the deal, we noted that there was a focus put back on bank profits. So are there any implications for ZEB, our equal weight Canadian bank, CTF, and for Canadian markets in general? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'll start it off. This was something that Trudeau not announced but discussed in the run-up to the election uh, back last September was what, what what what's called a recovery dividend. So recovering some of the profits from banks and additional tax on financial institutions. Yet, you know, I think there's more noise than signal, but you know, certainly it's going to be a little bit of a hit on banks. You know, if you look at the numbers. You know, and we're waiting for more details, obviously. Nothing's confirmed yet, but something like a three to five percent hit on bank earnings. You know, so three to five percent uh hit there. You know, when it was announced in the run up to the election, the banks sold off about three percent right away. So, you know, some of it's already priced into banks. So I think it's something investors should think about. I don't think it's gonna be, you know, enough to really change the big game plan. Um, you know, there's people speaking out against it already. CIBC CEO, probably the most most notable, Victor Dodig, uh, vocally opposed to it. You know, doesn't like the idea of play, picking on industries. You know, I think if you look at the implications for the energy sector, you know, that could be something to to think about as well. Now, obviously, we've had a, a really strong run with energy, probably still constructive on energy, but you know, might want to think about positioning there as well with this NDP Liberal Alliance. But, you know, like I said, I don't think it's a game changer, Mark. Um, I think there's bigger issues in the, in the um, you know, in the global equity realm right now. You know, geopolitics, you know, Russia, Ukraine, obviously front and center still. And then more North American focused is inflation and the future rate height trajectory to get inflation under control. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of talk 
south of the border, you know, at the Fed about potentially, you know, a, an even quicker rate path. So I think those are the those are the big issues. Um, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, were banks to sell off, you know, you could consider buying into weakness because I think we still like the sector there. You know, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, we're coming off a 40% return year in 2021 on the Canadian banks. You know, it could be a good opportunity to, to look at ZWB, uh, our cover call solution in the banks. You know, volatility is quite elevated with all those things going on that I, that I just mentioned. You know, when volatility is elevated, we can collect higher premiums. Uh, be further out of the money and capture more upside as well. So, you know, with with the banks, I think it's still, you know, it's a it's a pretty good story. This this isn't going to be enough to 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 drastically disrupt the path of banks, in my opinion. And just coming off such a strong year, probably a more modest growth profile for growth profile for banks. Excuse me. So, um, you know, I think ZWB could be a could be a good time to look at that, and particularly if you're trying to generate income in your portfolio. Obviously, the covered calls are always great tools to achieve that. So, so um, you know, I think that's something investors could look at off, off kind of you know the way things are shaping up for the rest of the year. Great, thanks for that, Chris. And I think your most important comment was right off the top, where some of that was already priced in because, of course, uh, we'd already heard. Uh, this at a number of points coming into the announcement this week. Introducing the new and improved ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. From the latest strategies and insight to trade ideas, podcasts, and the digital ETF roadmap, the enhanced dashboard features everything you loved before and more. Visit BMOETFs.ca, that's BMOETFs.ca, and bookmark now for one-click access. Now let's switch over to fixed income. Uh, last week we spoke about rising bond yields, and yet we've seen the 10-year bond yield jump another 20 points uh, over the past week, now reaching levels not seen since, I'll say, 2018. Uh, are analysts starting to change or update their year-end project- projections, or is this more of a temporary move with the geopolitical risk? And as you answer, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to ask, how is the new ZBI, our Canadian Bank Income ETF, held up over this period? Thanks. Sure, Mark. And certainly, I think, you know, rising bond yields is is the story so far here in 2022, and and it's only seemed to have accelerated uh, so far in March. Uh, As you mentioned, we're we're seeing 10-year yields uh, as high as they've been since 2018 now. Um, and even on the shorter end, two-year yields over two percent now. Um, and so I think, um, you know, towards your your first part of the question, there um, are analysts updating their year-end projections. In, in fact, they are. So you know, what we've seen for the most part is this move in interest rates has been more in the shorter end of the curve. Um, certainly, as we say, the ten-year has been moving as well, um, but most of the movement has been. Uh, towards the shorter end, and again, the two-year now being over 2%, both in the U.S. and Canada. Um, If you recall, going into the March central bank meetings in both Canada and the U.S., um, you know, earlier in the year, um, it was was priced in uh, the the, the probability that both Canada and the U.S. might raise interest rates by 50 basis points uh, at their March meetings. Later in February, when the Russian invasion into Ukraine first happened, you know, interest rates actually took a step backwards. And so that 50 basis point hike was really taken off the table um, for those March meetings. 
But fast forward just a few weeks here, um, and now that is being priced back into the market for the next uh, central bank meetings coming up in April for Canada and in May uh, for the U.S. And in fact, uh, not only is the market expecting that, but we've seen central bankers talking about that as well. And even Jerome Powell, south of the border, himself has indicated that the, the Fed will raise 50 basis points uh, at a meeting if they think it's required. Um, and so, you know, not taking it off the table at all, and in fact, trying to get the market ready, I think, for the possibility of that happening. And so if you take a look at over the next several months, um, in both Canada and the U.S., essentially uh, in Canada, here in Canada, over the next two meetings, um, there's three interest rate hikes priced in. And then over the next two meetings, there's another three interest rate hikes priced in. So you're getting a, about another 150 basis points by September um, and then 50 more basis points by the end of the year. So another 2% is priced in uh, in terms of rate hikes here in Canada and similar uh, in the U.S., essentially, you know, uh, six rate hikes, approximately five or six rate hikes over the next four meetings over the summer, um, and then another two to, to to round out the year. So we're not talking about just one meeting with a 50 basis point hike um, that's being priced in right now. There's actually multiple meetings um, that have the, the probability or possibility of that happening uh, according to, to current market expectations. So we've seen this dramatic move up, um, and again, we've seen central bankers talk about the, the possibility uh, of significant interest rate hikes happening in the short term. I think one of the other things that was that was quite interesting um, that Jerome Powell had mentioned is that, um, you know, they're already looking at the possibility of moving beyond uh, raising interest rates beyond the neutral rate if inflation is persistent um, and continues to stay high even as rates move up. And so, you know, a lot of uh, um, investors think of that 2% level as kind of the neutral uh, range that two to two and a half kind of low two percent um, is somewhere around there is the, the so-called neutral uh, rate of interest rates um, and so there's already talk of it moving beyond that uh, again if if inflation doesn't get tamped down um, uh, by by what those higher yields have been doing so strong expectations for higher yields in the short term um, but then again, as I mentioned, longer term, 10-year has certainly moved up as well, and so has the 30-year, the, the but to a much less lower degree. And so, you know, the good news, I think, is that long term, uh, the market is thinking that this will get under control. Um, but again, the short term is, is, is where most of that's happening. So you, you don't want to be um, long duration as interest rates are moving up. Um, but at the same time, it's the shorter interest rates that are moving most. So, so where do you hide? What do you do? Um, and you mentioned ZBI as a potential solution for that. And I think it's actually done a great job at insulating against some of this, what we've seen in the fixed income market. Um, just as a reminder, ZBI, essentially investing in, in the uh, capital structure uh, of the Canadian banks. You're getting uh, high quality corporate bonds, you're getting LRCNs, and you're getting preferred shares in there as well. And one of the benefits of those preferred shares is that they're rate reset preferred shares. So those the interest rate you get paid on those, the, the dividend you get paid on those um, moves up uh, in time as inflation or as interest rates move up. Um, and so you're, you're getting somewhat compensated uh, for the, the interest rates moving up. And you're also, you know, it's on the shorter end of the curve. And so you're somewhat insulated a little bit uh, from, the, from the duration risk that, that you'd see from longer term bonds. And so, you know, just in March here, again, we've seen uh, interest rates accelerate. 
to the upside just in March, you see long-term Canadian bonds, government bonds down 7 8%. Uh, again, just in March so far, it's only been a few weeks here, um, and core bonds down somewhere in the neighborhood of 4%. So ZBI, um, again, so far this month, down just around 1.5% um, so far here in March. And again, that's really, a, I guess, a reflection of, again, what it's doing there. It's providing some insulation against rising rates by providing exposure um, to those rising rates and then staying shorter on the duration side as well. Um, and at the same time, you know, adding a decent amount of yield, that spread that you're collecting on some of those LRCNs and preferred shares helps to insulate against, um, you know, if your principal's selling off, at least you're getting a little bit more coupon um, to help compensate for that. And so, you know, we've told investors this is a great place to hide, um, you know, again, with the rising rate environment that we're in. It's certainly not immune. As we can see, it's still negative. Uh, which isn't great, but certainly much less volatile than the other parts of the fixed income market. And again, you're getting a little bit of uh, extra yield uh, to compensate uh, for that, that that volatility as well. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. And as part of your last answer, you did speak a little bit about inflation. Uh, however, I thought we'd focus in on it as inflation prints have been persistently coming in above expectations. Uh, how do you see that? continuing or playing out over the rest of the year and as well what do you see using ztip our uh, u.s treasury inflation protection uh, etf uh, against these market expectations thanks yeah and increasingly i think the expectation is that inflation is going to be somewhat sticky um, at least through the rest of 2022 um, you know, you mentioned some of the high high prints we've seen recently in the U.S. for February. It was 7.9% uh, CPI year over year. And in Canada, here in Canada, it was 57 So some of the highest levels we've seen in a long time. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the, the war in Ukraine right now is not helping any of that. On a global level, this is really adding to inflation pressures. You know, we've talked in the past about both Russia and Ukraine being um, producers of a lot of commodities such as, um, you know, agriculture commodities like wheat um, and then as well, of course, um, oil and gas as well. Um, and so we've seen, we talked last week about potash also in Canada being one of the largest producers, but also Ukraine and, and Russia being large producers there. And so, you know, with that global trade really slowing down with a lot of those supplies, probably not going to be um put into the global economy, uh, we're going to see inflation continue through the rest of the year. You know, we've seen some analysts expect inflation to actually go up uh, beyond the 7.9 we've seen in the U.S. and potentially hitting double digits uh, before it slows down. And again, it really has a lot to do with those commodity prices, all the inputs into everything um, that we make or do or consume, right? Again, it's not just on the ag side, wheat and corn, um, potash is one of those inputs into agriculture, oil and gas, um, but then also, you know, metals as well, like nickel, copper, lithium, things like that. Um, all of these are rising. All the inputs into what we create and what we produce are rising. Um, and, and, and we don't really see a way out of that, unfortunately, at least right now. Um, for, so for the rest of this year, at least, we think inflation will continue to stay uh, relatively high. Um, and ZTIP, as you mentioned, one of the ways to help combat that um, inflation protected securities. And, you know, what we do here um, 
in order to look at the market's expectations for inflation is we, we take a look at the yield on those inflation-protected bonds and compare them to the yield on the nominal bonds, and that gives an indication of what the market is expecting inflation to be over that period of time. Um, and so looking at Z-tip specifically, this is the zero to five-year um, part of the curve on the fixed income side. Um, and so if you look at you know, a couple of spots along that curve at, at the two-year level, break-evens right now are trading at 4.8%. So essentially, that means the market is expecting, on average, over the next two years, inflation to be at around that 4.8% annualized uh, level. And again, that's over a two-year period now. So that's a relatively high number um, over, over an entire two-year period. If we look at five years, though, um, there's a bit better news there. That break-even level is only at 2.4%. So again, over a, an entire five-year period, a 2.4% annualized um, amount of inflation is what the market is pricing in right now. So again, I think that's good news that uh, the market thinks the Fed is in front of this, uh, central banks are in front of this. And again, um, you know, they've talked about rising, uh, raising interest rates as much as they need to, to combat inflation. They seem to have really pivoted from um, s slowdown and weakness to making sure they are fighting inflation and it's not getting out of control. And so it seems like the market is believing that the Fed will get on top of this and central banks will get on top of this. And while we, we are experiencing inflation in the shorter term, and again, over two years, almost 5% um, is what's expected, um, over the longer term, um, that, that should be sort of tamped tamp back down and, and put sort of more back into more reasonable levels. You know, 2.4%, not that long ago, 2.4% would be um, seen as a, a great achievement um, as inflation was, was nowhere to be found. Um, and now it's, a, it's a, a sort of a, a, a good number to look at uh, in order to get back down to that level. So um, that is being priced in right now. So the market is expecting inflation to stay relatively high uh, for the near term, but to come down over the long term. You know, we've told investors to utilize ZTIP as a bolt on to the core fixed income portion of their portfolio. You know, adding in, you know, five, 10% of your fixed income exposure um, into those inflation protected securities, particularly over the short term here, again, over the next couple of years, you want to stay short if interest rates are rising. You want to stay on the short end of the curve. Um, and then this is just another way to help boost that um, and, and fight against those uh, higher interest rates that we're seeing, again, even in the short term here. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. And as you say, using it as a fixed income satellite is certainly something that we've been suggesting for a while. Streaming now, new videos from BMO and Brookfield that dive deep into the BMO Brookfield Global Renewables Infrastructure and BMO Brookfield Global Real Estate Tech Mutual Funds and ETF Series, tickers GRNI and TOWR. Get the inside scoop from portfolio managers as they discuss these innovative solutions. And if you have any questions, be sure to bring them to the upcoming BMO Brookfield Interactive Q&A event on April the 6th at 2 p.m. Eastern. To view the videos and register for the Q&A, find the links in this podcast's show notes or look for the special email in your inbox. Now let's go back to the equity side of the book. Uh, we've been getting lots of advisor questions coming in uh, with, of course, the Ukraine conflict on the potential wider impact if we look at emerging markets in general uh, with our ZEM. Can you comment on the regional exposures on that ETF and how it may have evolved away uh, from what people historically have thought of it as, as, as sort of a brick exposure 
with, with Russia and Brazil being major weights. And then as well, add in your outlook for this ETF. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And that brick spelled B-R-I-C. Brazil and Russia were, were front and center, weren't they? They got the first two letters. If you look 15 years ago, they were about 10% each of, of the, uh, the emerging markets. So they were, they were a big part of EM. You know, and it, it's, that, was kind of the, that was kind of the highlight for them during that kind of commodity super cycle of 2006, 2007. Uh, Russia and Brazil, very commodity focused. And it, it kind of, their weights kind of gradually went down. Kind of thankfully, in the case of Russia, pre-war, it was only about a 2.5% weight. So relatively small weight to help manage, obviously, the sell-off that, that has occurred in Russian equities, which, which by the way, are scheduled to open uh, on March 24th for, for residents only on some selected stocks. So we'll see. We'll, we'll continue to eye developments there. But, um, you know, good thing for EM investors, broad EM investors. Russia was a pretty small weight. Uh, if you look at the composition now, I'll just g- give you a rundown of, of what's in the ZEM. Uh, China's at 30%. Taiwan's 15, India's 13, South Korea 13 as well, and then Brazil, Saudi Arabia, and Mexico, all around four to five percent each. So it's a pretty diversified basket. Um, to your point on uh, wider spillover, um, obviously China has been a focus point within EM. Um, there's been a, you know, certainly some investors been snake bit with regards to, um, you know, first it was kind of more credit-oriented exposures like the Evergrande real estate that they're still working through. Regulation, you know, has has, has played a role there as well, um, clamping down on certain industries and causing negative returns. And then now with this geopolitics front and center, you know, some concerns on whether China would potentially try to, to take over Taiwan kind of by force. So um, all those things have, you know, certainly weighed on emerging markets the past 12 months. China, you know, I mentioned the weight at 30%, you know, that would have been about 40% a year ago. So, you know, it's weighed on China for sure. And I think that has led to some concerns. And and like I mentioned, um, you know, some investors a little snake bit, you know, Um, that did fall. However, you know, 2020, China was, you know, during the COVID crisis, China was the top performing equity market, um, at least top performing major market. Um, in terms of managing that crisis. So, you know, taking that all away, how do you position an EM? Well, if you look at ACWI, which is MSCI, all all country world, which includes developed and emerging markets, uh, emerging markets is about 12%. Um, What are the benefits about EM? You know, we've talked about some of the cons, but the benefits is obviously higher economic growth. There's higher GDP growth. There's less representation as well in public equities. And so there's there's room to grow within the equity sphere. Um, so, you know, I think as an investor, you're thinking, well, if EM's 12% of equity, you know, where do you want to position? Um, so I took a look at ZEQT, which is our newly launched uh, asset allocation ETF, all equity to go, you know, folds into our current asset allocation suite that includes ZBAL, among others, that grow. ZEM is an 8% weight in, in that basket of all equities. So again, with 12% um, in the ACWI, you know, I kind of like that 8% level of ZEM that's in ZEQT. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is what emerging markets are known for. They're known for problems. But, you know, over time for long-term investors, and I think this is the best way to look at EM markets, is they can be additive to portfolios and, you know, give you some diversification, give you some exposure to higher growth rates. 
So, you know, I kind of like that uh, overall positioning. Um, you know, don't mind being underweight a little bit, but I, you know, do like having some exposure in emerging markets for the, for, for the long term. Um, very tough to time tactically, but, you know, potentially, you know, if you don't have any and you're, you're really underweight EM, you know, potentially adding some to at least close that underweight a little bit, you know, could make sense. So that's, that's high level um, EM. We also, uh, you know, have India and China standalone ETFs. So I thought I'd just comment briefly. ZID has been a solid performer. Uh, so that's the India. Um, we've completed a transition that was announced last uh, December, I believe, or November or December to the uh, local index uh, of the MSCI ESG leaders in China. And yeah, just to highlight that ID, you know, it's kind of traded sideways with emerging markets, but it has been a solid performer. It was 13% a year over the past 10 years. That's a pretty good return. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of those solid fundamentals are happening in India without some of the more negatives that, that are happening within certain regions. That ID, and then I think ZCH as well, Mark, um, you know, that's a call that's going to take some guts. Um, it sold off a lot. Um, but, you know, if you have a room for a small satellite, you know, an aggressive risk profile and a long time horizon, I think you need all those things. Um, you know, I think you could defend an allocation to ZCH, um, certainly trading at the lows and seems to have stabilized. So something to think about. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's definitely an interesting area that investors should be looking at emerging markets. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And we've got one more for today, and I thought it was timely with the mask mandates around the world getting curved. And of course, Ontario lifting ours this week. Uh, it's a good time for an update on U.S. healthcare, where advisors look to use our ZHU or ZUH for portfolio completion. How has the outlook shifted for U.S. healthcare as we look beyond the, uh, the ending mask restrictions? Thanks. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we have got two ETFs there, the ZHU and the ZUH, uh, unhedged and hedged, respectively. Um, yeah, to your point, healthcare is traded a little bit sideways, a little bit negative this year, you know, with some of the, those restrictions coming off. There's also a little bit of growth profile, obviously, in some of those healthcare stocks because healthcare is very important and there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of a growth that, that flows through that sector. Um, you know, just to look at that 10-year return, and again, you know, as we always say, historical is not a guarantee by any means of future returns, but 10-year annualized return on ZUH is 15% a year. So it's been a very strong sector. You know, I think it's a sector we, we can, you know, all agree on. There's, there's going to be future demand, so there's no question of demand for healthcare. And, and as, as people live longer and longer, you know, there's, 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 there's more to deal with on the healthcare end. Um, and as, as we develop new tools, therapies, drugs, you know, that's <laughs> unfortunately somewhat to say, but fortunately and unfortunately, I suppose that's, that's a growth um, driver for healthcare. So, um, you know, in terms of our healthcare ETFs, I think this is, you know, one where this equal weight approach to a sector really shines. Uh, we've got over 80 names in the portfolio. Uh, so U.S. listed. Um, as you mentioned, this is an area where, you know, and, and a lot of us are overweight Canada with that, you know, in our overall allocation, and that's fine. We like Canada, um, but you can't get healthcare in Canada. So this is one where you have to turn to the U.S. And the equal weight approach, I think, is, is, is a pretty solid one here in that you get 80 companies. They're all around kind of a percent, percent and a half each, you know, when, when rebalanced. 
and um, it's a very well-rounded exposure to a sector that has done very well and I think will continue to do very well. And just like one last comment looking under the hood that, I, that I've always personally liked, you know, if there's something, um, you know, an area where sometimes I wonder about is the pharmaceutical subsector in the U.S. because we all know kind of the drug issue, the drug pricing issues that they're having in the U.S., uh, potential pressure there. One nice thing about our equal weight is that's our largest underweight is to the pharmaceutical. So there's 14% exposure to pharmaceuticals. You look at the market cap index, it's more like 28%. So nice little underweight there. But, you know, again, a very well-constructed portfolio, um, 80 plus companies and helps investors and achieve an exposure that they otherwise, you know, couldn't really get here, uh, here at Canada. So I think it's, uh, you know, for, for a long-term satellite, you know, makes a lot of sense for investors. Appreciate that. A good sector update. And again, kind of timely as we all think about finally taking off uh, these masks. So with that, that is all the questions that have come in for this week. So we want to thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, thanks go out to both Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks. Uh, some really good answers today covering a lot of areas of the market. Certainly a lot going on, particularly uh, with what's going on with fixed income yields. So thanks for covering all of that. And with that, I just want to wish everyone a great day. And thanks once again for listening in. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McKinney, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETS podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF, ticker ZTIP, which can serve as a source of inflation-protected income as a satellite to the core fixed income sleeve of a portfolio. Our experts also discussed the BMO Equal Weight U.S. Healthcare Index ETF, ticker ZHU, which can help investors achieve exposure to a sector otherwise not available in Canada through its portfolio of U.S.-based healthcare companies. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.